Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, 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 what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you're doing well. Hope life is treating you good wherever you're at in the world. If you're uh, you're driving down the road, maybe listening, maybe you're on a flight, you're on a plane right now, listening to this, maybe you're heading to a speaking engagement, maybe you're making dinner, running on the treadmill, maybe you're doing all of those things simultaneously, in which case you are a very, very talented human being. So whatever you're up to, thanks for hanging out with us. We are on episode 62. And the next couple episodes, we got some great interviews. We've got some great guests that are going to be joining us. They're going to be hanging out with us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with my buddy, Joe. Sangle. And Joe does a lot of speaking on the in the personal finance space, and he does it primarily to uh, in the church market, in the faith-based market. And so I know a lot of people have reached out that are interested in speaking in that world, but are just having trouble knowing, like, how do you get your foot in the door with churches if, if I wanted to speak uh, and basically put on my own event, but have churches host that? What would that look like? And so Joe does a lot of that. So he has a great story about how he got into speaking. It's a crazy story about how he kind of stumbled into it. And then what he's learned along the way in terms of, of reaching out to churches, connecting with churches, and uh, building those relationships and, and beginning to, to build and grow uh, his own speaking business. So I think you're really going to dig this. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with uh, my speaker buddy, entrepreneur friend, Joe Sengel. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy Joe Sangle, who is a, uh, a financial wizard, financial expert, speaker, all-around good dude. So, Joe, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, fired up. Thanks for having me. We connected... How, man, it's been several years. I, I used to run like a small financial blog, and I know you've been in the financial world for, for quite a while, and somehow we crossed paths. I'm trying to even remember how we first connected, but man, it's been, it seems like it's been several years. Yeah, it was at, uh, at least 10 years ago, and you were getting ready to produce your first book. And I had just released mine, and I guess you ran across it somehow. That's right. And we're talk we wanted to talk about how to market a book, how to even write a book or produce a book. That's right. And it was a lot of fun. I remember that now. That's right. And uh, that book that you helped, you helped me uh, give, give me some feedback on in printing. I remember that was a part of it. We, we sold 30,000 self-published copies of that, so that, that worked out pretty well. So thanks, thanks for the help with that. <laughs> That's great. Well, first of all, let's start with, with just kind of your journey and, and kind of what you do, what your business looks like. I know you got your hand in a variety of different things, and then kind of how speaking fits into each of the pieces of your business. Yeah, so I had a passion because I had a really life-transforming event with my finances in that I was making good money, but I managed to make all my money disappear every month and had a moment where I realized I needed to do this differently and started having a budget, started attacking my debt, and became debt-free in 14 months except for my house. And the, the just the life-transforming effect of having margin in my life 
and being able to start to consider to do things that I was really passionate about instead of just a job really compelled me to go start sharing that with other people. And so I ended up starting to put together speaking events and opportunities for me to speak, even if I was providing some other course or some other teaching course, it allowed me to carve out 15 or 20 minutes for me to speak. And I found out that it gave me great passion and that people really responded well to it. And the next thing I know, the economy collapsed in 2008 and 9. Mm-hmm. I like to say that 401ks turned into 201ks <laughs> and then into a box of special K. <laughs> and people were really saying, what in the world? This, this financial knowledge I have is not sufficient for me to prosper. And so calls from churches and from civic organizations just started to pour in, asking us to come help them. And the next thing we knew, we had a full-fledged business. We're going to come back to that. I want to talk a little bit more about how you go from, okay, I had this experience in the story to then beginning to speak about it. So we'll come back to that in a second. What does the business look like today? What, what are the, I know you got a few different businesses. Yeah, so our businesses with employees, we have one that's called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not, and that is dedicated to teaching personal and small business finances. And that's a team of five people. And we speak about 140 times a year throughout the U.S. and Canada primarily in churches, but with some businesses. And we speak on the topics of budgeting, debt freedom, investing, getting your money in order, that that sort of stuff. And then we have another organization that was founded by uh, one of the top-selling authors ever, Dr. John C. Maxwell, Mm -hmm. Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And I purchased that organization in 2011. And we help churches raise capital to buy buildings, pay off debt, upfit existing facilities, that sort of thing. And that organization is celebrating its 25th year here shortly. Wow. But that is an organization of about 20 people. And in that one, we focus a lot on leadership. And so that affords opportunities to speak on the topics of leadership and being able to talk about macro financial stuff, not just micro financial stuff. I'm curious on that for just a second, uh, and this is a, a bit unrelated, but I'm, I'm curious like why you decided to buy that and how that kind of came to be. Yeah, so what happened is I was uh, on staff at a church, and we had hired Enjoy to help us raise money to build a new youth and children's facility. And they saw what I was doing with personal finances and doing one-on-one coaching and putting on classes for the members of our church. And they said, man, the churches that we're helping are filled with a bunch of broke people. Would you be interested in doing that as part of our capital campaign? And so it birthed a partnership, and I ended up getting to do eight conferences with Dr. Maxwell uh, over the course of two years and ended up having the opportunity to purchase it. And they were bringing us over a third of our speaking opportunities. Wow. And so it was very interesting to me because I was, I was very interested in securing that opportunity for us. And uh, I knew that they were going to sell it. And if it wasn't to me, it was going to be to someone else and they may not value that partnership. Right. So for me, that was one of the critical reasons for me to consider buying it. Interesting. All right, cool. Okay, let's go back a little bit for a second here. So you experienced your own kind of personal transformation with 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 personal finances. I know for my wife and I, we we experienced the same, and and just the power of that. I know you and I could spend a lot of time talking about the importance people of being debt free, of getting debt free, of getting rid of all that crap. It makes a huge, huge difference in business and in life. So my wife and I, we we did that almost. I guess it'd be probably close to a decade ago, and it's made a massive difference. But whenever you were getting started there, you you experienced this your own transformation, your own story, and then it's something that you decide you want to share and talk about. How do you make that leap? Because I think there's a lot of 
the people listening that are in a similar spot of going like, okay, I've had some type of story I want to share. Maybe it's in the financial world. Maybe it's in the, the health world. Maybe it's in the marriage world. Maybe it's in the just overcoming obstacles space. And I have no idea where to go from there. So what were some of those early things that you did that began to give you opportunities to speak about what you'd experienced? It's, that's a great question. And what happened for me is I knew my why. And my, I think, you know, when you know your why, it helps lead you to what you need to do, the what. And my why was I wanted to help other people experience this freedom that I was experiencing, that me and my family were experiencing. And so I began to offer one-on-one financial coaching. And so as I would talk about it in the workplace, invariably people's ears would get tuned to that and say, hey, would you help me? And so I started helping people one by one traveling to their house and sitting down with them, helping them get a budget, helping them address whatever their financial scenario was. And then that got word of mouth going, and it ended up spawning this all these opportunities to go sit in people's houses across from them on a kitchen table and helping them get a plan. And every single time I sat with them, I found myself creating these tools in Microsoft Excel or whatever, and as I, I would recreate them, and finally, after about 50 of these, I said, you know, I could probably standardize these tools and put them on a website to where they could be downloaded, and I wouldn't have to keep recreating them and wasting all this time right. doing it. And I put them on the web, and blogs, web blogs, became wildly popular in 05 and 06. Yeah. And so I started one because I really felt compelled to start putting it into a book just to kind of document my journey. And I didn't really care about whether or not people would read my blog. What I cared about was getting it into digital form so that later I could go back and put it together into the form of a book. So when you I were, couldn't just sit down and so to interrupt you there. So, so when you were creating the blog, was the blog meant to be kind of a means of, of marketing? Or is it more just kind of like, I just, if anything, I just, I'm just thinking out loud for myself, and I just want to put this stuff online and just kind of document this process, and if people find it great, and if this leads to speaking great. But was it more in, intentional than that? No, it, it was. I knew I wanted to write a book, but I had a full-time job, a family, and I knew I could not just afford hours and hours to sit down and write. So I said, I can afford to sit down 10 or 15 minutes an evening and just kind of scribble a thought that I'm noodling on that day. And I did it with the intention that later I could go back and stitch it together to be a book. And I would say I had no idea that I like I had no dream of selling 30,000 copies, as you've mentioned, for your book. I, I just was wanting to get it into a book so I could give it to people when I sat down with them one on one. I was very successful as an engineer and leading business in corporate America. And I thought that this would just be my side passion. But the more I did this, you know, that one or two hours or three hours a week, I would spend coaching people. I would end up thinking about that during my 40 or 50 or 60 hours of my regular work. Right. And the more I did it, the more passionate I got. And then I said, well, what if I put on a class? And I put on a class and I remember saying, I prayed, God, send one person. Will one person <laughs> please show up? Right. And it was five minutes before it was supposed to start, and zero people were there. Wow. And I was like, I, if I could have a living, breathing anything here, an animal, <laughs> please, I w- that'd be great. And I think any person who's got a desire to share something that matters to them with others, knowing that it could change your life, has had that moment. Right. And sure enough, a, a, a two people walked in, a couple, and then a bunch of people were late. We ended up with 43 people. 
Wow. And that's, that's when I pointed at the end of that class. I said, hey, I put these tools online, and if you want me to email them to you later, just go to the back of the class here at the end of the class and write down your email address on a piece of paper, and I'll send them to you. And the class was not done, but everybody just jumped up and ran to the back, like the entire class. Wow. And that's when that was the moment when I said, there's something to this. This this has some legs. I really need to consider pursuing this. Old school primitive list building at its finest. I'm serious. I didn't I didn't know what list building, lead generation, lead nurturing. I didn't know any of that stuff. That's awesome. All I knew is I had a passion to help some people. So did you host that at your church? Did you charge for that? How did you promote that? Tell us a little bit more about that. Hosted it at our church and we charged money for it, but we scholarshiped anybody in who could not pay. And we said, if you cannot pay, you have to sign this agreement that you'll come to, you know, what amounted to be 90% of the classes. And if you did, at the end, at some time in a later date, as you began to get your money in order, you would consider funding a scholarship for the next person. Wow. Very cool. And we ended up with a scholarship fund that we couldn't even spend. Wow. Because so many people were helped so greatly that they would pay for two or three people to go through it. Wow. And that's how we that's how it spawned. So that very first night was that was that meant to be just a, a one off class or is that just a the kickoff of a multiple week thing that you're just kinda of figuring it, out it, as you go? It was a, it was the kickoff of a multiple week thing and we had to fit it within the regular, you know, programming at the church. So we had to make it fit the same number of weeks. It was on a Wednesday night. It was a part of the rhythm of the church. Gotcha. And so that's how it just birthed itself. And one of the things that I have found as as time has changed, that back then it was, you know, 13 or 14 weeks long. Mm-hmm. And I found that interest would tail off sure. in coming to the classes. And so that's how we ended up settling on, ultimately with our resources, stuff that is four to six weeks long. Gotcha. is something that people are more likely to stay engaged with. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. So, okay, so you've got that first night. It goes well. you got 43 people there. Everyone rushes to the back to, to sign up for the class. And, and you, so you know you've got something there. Where do you go from that point? Because at that point, it's, it's just you have one class under your belt, but you're working a full-time job, but you know there's something there, and it's, you know it's something you want to do. How do you begin to ramp up from there? So I began having conversations with my bride who witnessed that moment and was really seeing that this gave me life that I just didn't get elsewhere, that this really was a deep-rooted, deep-seated passion. And so we started talking about what would it look like to pursue that, and we realized that we had an opportunity available to us through a church we had helped start. We had helped start a church in Anderson, South Carolina called New Spring Church back in 1999. And they were asking me to go on staff to help lead a capital campaign. And they were watching what I was doing with this personal finance stuff. And they said, well, we have, we now have 6,000 people attending our church. If 70% of them are indeed living paycheck to paycheck, that means every weekend 4,200 of them are showing up and they are broke and they really need help. Would you come on staff and just help them? And I knew that that required over a 50% pay cut. But because we had taken the, gotten rid of our debt, we were able to change and adjust our lifestyle. And it took us a year to come to grips with it. But in September of 2006, about a year and a half after we had really got serious about doing this as a volunteer basis, 
we quit our job in corporate America and signed on for the 50% pay cut and went to work for a church doing it. Nice. Now, were you doing, so I assume at that point you're continuing to teach the class there at your own church. Are you doing any outside speaking at that point at other churches or any civic organizations, businesses, anything like that? None. Zero outside speaking at that point, because serving all the people that were attending this church was a very large task. Yeah. And, and I had said, if there's not somebody in my office to coach on my very first weekend there, that I was going to demand the senior pastor sit in that chair and be coached. <laughs> and so he made sure somebody else was in that chair. And in that first year, I coached one-on-one myself, 650 people. Wow. And, and just serving people, serving people, serving people. Well, invariably, many of them were business leaders. They were leaders in their own right in the community. And they started sharing the word that, hey, there was very helpful coaching that had really helped them with their finances. And at the same time, I was taking everything from that blog that I'd been writing, and I finally stitched it together and created this book called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. And it all came to a moment in January of 2008 when I was actually speaking at our church, which had grown to about 8,500 at that point. Mm -hmm. I was delivering the weekend messages in January of 2008 when that book released. And that was the ultimate, uh, I mean, launch pad. From that weekend on, you know, obviously, for me it's obvious. For others it might be so obvious. But when you have a church that has grown to 8,000 people in six years, a lot of other church leaders are watching what's happening. Right. And with the advent of being able to stream messages or watch messages online, they saw that message and they started calling. And at that point in time, I had signed on for two full-time jobs, serving our church and then starting to travel and speak. That's what birthed my first real speaking opportunities at a high level. Gotcha. Okay, I want to dive into that a little bit more, but I think I think it's interesting to point out something here. And again, this may just be speculation on my part, but it sounds like what started as your own experience, I want to help other people. I've experienced this thing. My wife and I, our family, we've experienced this in our finances. Now we want to help other people. It's one thing to share your own story. It's another thing when you've personally one-on-one coached you know, 650 plus people and you begin to pick up what those common themes are and common things are that, that what's working, what's not working. You're beginning to refine your own system of what it is that you're teaching. Like you talked about it earlier. You're going from a, a four, 13 or 14 week series to a, a four, four to six week class. Uh, so you just refine stuff as you're like in the trenches actually working on it. And so I'm assuming that you learned a lot about just your message and what the challenges were that your audience had and how you could best help them in doing a lot of that one-on-one work. Grant, that's a great observation. That's absolutely the case. You know, when you're sitting across from a desk with an individual or a couple, you see what lights a fire in their eyes. Yeah. You see what connects. You also see when you're trying to teach something that you know is important, and it just doesn't connect, and you're like, man, I have to deliver this differently. And so it gives, you call this the speaker lab, it, it, this provided me my financial coaching lab. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and what the, a lot of those people did not know is I was trying to figure out how to write this in a book, and so I would get to share it with them, and I'd say, well, that didn't work. I need to retool that. Right. Or I would see something that caught them and really lit them up, and I'm like, man, that is not in my book. I've got to add that. Yeah. And so it really helped us refine a process. I learned as much from them as they learned from me. And ultimately, it culminated in a resource that really was a collection of what I thought 
helped me the most, but also was helping the people the most in my office when I was coaching them. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, and this this applies not only in the context of, of a book, but in, in speaking, and that one of the things I always say is that your presentation, your talk, your message, your speech that you're giving is always this work in progress, right? You're, you never feel like you've, you've got it completely nailed down. There's always things that you're tweaking or, or stories that you're adapting and new audiences that you're, you're learning from. It's all an educated guess when you get up there on stage and you make adjustments accordingly. And it sounds like your message has evolved a lot just in, in helping those people and in just being on stage and learning what works. Uh, so, okay, I'm curious about this. So the, the book is launched. You speak that weekend at the church. It's a huge church. You're on people's radar as a result of that. The phone begins to ring. How are you beginning to balance both worlds? You, you have this, this full-time job at the church where you're, you know, you're, you're doing the, the financial counseling and coaching, but then you're also having a lot of opportunities to travel and go to other churches to present. Can you come do for us what you're doing for them? So how are you beginning to, to balance that? Well, the first thing that I went is went and talked to our senior pastor and the leadership of the church and said, hey, I feel this compelling call. I'm getting these calls. I want to go help them too. Our church is very interested in helping other people anyhow. And so I said, let's talk about how many weekends a year I could be gone, and let's figure out how I could still fulfill my fiduciary obligations to the church and still be able to grow this. So we came to an agreement, and it's where we had a statement that says, in the presence of clear boundaries, there is freedom. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, this is the definition of it. And so that year I was able to go speak 50 times in that year, and 50, exactly. And every single time I spoke, I was refining that message and learning what works, learning what's better. And I was starting to charge. That's the first time I started to charge money, really, to speak. Yeah. And no one said no. And that's when I realized I was not charging nearly enough, especially when I was spending more money to get there than yeah. they were paying me. But I will say to any person who wants to speak, having a book provided instant authority, and I'll never forget putting a book on the table and that book selling enough to totally cover all of my expenses and plus some more, and that allowed the speaking honorarium to actually come free and clear to us. Yeah. And so having that resource is really important for a speaker in a lot of cases of building authority, but also it really helps you fund the dream. When you were getting started, this is a question I get from time to time from people who are wanting to speak in the church world. Were you having any, it didn't sound like you were having much pushback in terms of, of charging a fee, but were you having any of your own internal struggles of, how's it, does it feel weird to charge money to a church when you're going to speak and you're just, you know, you're doing something just to help people, but it's a nonprofit. So like, how are you kind of wrestling through that? Well, the way that I wrestled through it is I realized that there was real value that was being added to the church, to the people, and that it was going to absolutely help the people get their finances in order. And as a result, those people would be able to give cheerfully more consistently. And the churches that I had been speaking at were telling us, man, our giving has increased ridiculously. The stories that we're getting of the amount of debt that has been paid off is unbelievable. And they were saying, hey, this has been the greatest investment we have ever made. Wow. And so that language that they were saying to us, we were saying, hey, would you share that in a video? Would you mind if we shared your story with other pastors? 
and other church leaders, and that really helped them see there's real value to this. And the church leaders, a lot of church leaders, understand, you know, there's travel costs, there's costs with conducting any sort of business or speaking ministry like this. And so I got very little pushback from church leadership. They could very clearly see that it was helping people. One of the things that I have made sure in all of my speaking in churches is that on the weekend messages, during the regular weekend messages, I have never promoted my book. I rarely even mention my book. I'm not there to sell resources on the weekend messages. That's that's something that I share at the end of the two-hour workshop. Gotcha. What does the uh, your weekend stuff look like now? I know we were talking a little bit about this beforehand, but what was it look like? So it sounds like before you've done kind of a combination of sometimes you would speak on a you know traditional Sunday morning services. Sometimes you would do some maybe like a, a full day workshop or a half day workshop for people that were just interested in coming and learning more about you know the personal finance stuff. So what does what does it look like today if you're going to go into a, a church uh, on a weekend? So I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer from Purdue University, so I like systems. And I realized that there were really uh, three large things that had to be addressed if a church was to have a system that really helped people with their finances. And so the first part of that is that the large group, that the weekend message should be focused on practical, biblical money wisdom, and that it would be both biblical, but also very practical, like they could go apply it right now and see a difference in their life very soon. So that message, and then move them, those that said, I need more help, I'm interested, I'm inspired, I'm encouraged, move them to a mid-sized gathering where they could get two hours, one time, some more help at a deeper level, a more practical level. And then in that group, there was a group of people that said, man, I get it, I understand it, but I really need somebody to walk through this with me one-on-one. And so that was where the financial coaching training came into place. So we trained financial coaches to be able to sit down one-on-one with people and help them get a plan to make their money behave. We trained, that's about five or six hours of training, typically on a Saturday. And then me or a member of my team delivers the weekend message or messages. A lot of the churches we go to are growing and have two or three or four services on a weekend. And then that afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon or on Monday night, something like that, we teach this two-hour practical equipping workshop. So it becomes a circle. We speak right. on the weekend. They go to the two-hour one time. There's a response card where we capture their email address. That's list building. Right. But they also can check a box saying, I want to meet with a coach. I want to be a part of the six-week study. And that's how we move people to that smaller one-on-one help setting. And it just goes in a circle. I mean, it sounds like it's a, at this point it's a pretty well-oiled machine. So, and so you said you you really started speaking, or the book came out. Would you say two thousand eight? Yep. So, I mean, we're talking I, just for context sake. We're we're talking between two thousand eight and now two thousand sixteen. We're looking at eight nine years there. And so, I share that just in context of. I think it's easy to think, man, this guy's got this freaking well-oiled machine. He's got a lot of employees. He's doing a lot of speaking. He's doing a lot of coaching. But again, look at this, people. We're talking nine years. Nine and that, years. And that very first that very first speaking engagement that he was hosting, five minutes before, had a total of none people there, right? So I think it's just important to realize like, this is a long-term business that we're all building. This is a long-term thing that we're, we're trying to achieve. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's go back to just kind of the speaking. The, the 
speaking in churches, because I think this is something that I know a lot of people are interested in, but a lot of people feel stuck on of going like, well, you know, I want to speak in churches, but I don't know how to get in front of the pastor or who the decision maker is. Plus, I'm also kind of wondering, like, you know, churches, again, are kind of going back to the, their, their nonprofits. I don't feel like they have much money, or if I reach out to them, they're telling me they don't have money. Like, is it possible to make a living speaking to churches? Yes. I define success. Just so you know, I define success as have I missed any meal. That's my first level of success. Right. And... But but you can not only, you know, earn a living, but you can prosper. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that if you have a message that is focused on helping the people and helping them in a way that really helps grow the church, really helps expand the impact of the church, and ultimately pastors are very keen on helping their people. That's why they went into ministry in the first place. So if you do something that they see helps the people. I've always said it this way. Pastors love it when you serve them well. Mm-hmm. They love it when they see you serve their people well. Yeah. So at the end of my events, it is it, every time I stand around till the last person has left the building or till the pastor kicks me out. There have been multiple times where I have stood and had a line of 100 people, 150, 200 people, 300 people, and stood and signed every single book and answered every individual question and it's more than two hours after the event is finished before we're driving away. Yeah. But I really feel like uh, one of the hallmarks of what we do is we are there on behalf of the welfare of the people, and if we don't help them with their big issue in their life, they'll leave not having their next step clearer for them. Yeah. I want to help them with that next step. And I think that that has really translated into the DNA of our staff, and that's really moved people and pastors tell other pastors when that has happened. I want to go back and say something about this fact that this has been nine years ago, you know, since the book came out. I'll never forget 2010-ish, 2009-ish, about a year or so after my book came out, I heard Dave Ramsey speak at a conference in Atlanta. There's about 12,000 people there, and they were saying, he said, people look at me and say, man, it's like you're an overnight success. And he said, I worked 19 long, hard years to become an overnight success. That statement was one of the most liberating statements I ever heard, because I realized, you know what? There was a time when Dave Ramsey and a lot of other public speakers were just in the trenches, and the trenches were wildly important to helping them refine that message and really make sure that when they did hit the big stage, they were ready and they could handle that at a very deep personal and large group level. Very true. I think that's a, uh, a good place to put a bow on things. So, Joe, we appreciate the time, buddy. Hey, if people want to find out more uh, about you, not only the speaking stuff that you're doing, but if people are like, all right, I got, I got a little bit of debt, and how, how do I clean that up? Uh, I mentioned in the book. Where, where can we find out more about you? They should just Google I Was Broke, Now I'm Not, or go to their app store and download the I Was Broke, Now I'm Not app. It's free, the right price, and it will help them get their finances in order. And I'd be glad to answer any email questions. If they want to email me at joe at iwasbrokenimnot.com, I'd be happy to answer the questions and help them in their own journey. We need more people teaching what they're passionate about. It'll help change the world. Beautiful. Well, Joe, thanks for the time, buddy. We appreciate you. Thanks, Grant. Peace. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation, that chit-chat chatteroo with uh, Joe Sangle. I've said chit-chat chatteroo a few times on podcast episodes before, and I've had a few people point it out to me. They're like, what the heck does that even mean? It's like, I don't I don't know. Sometimes you just say things and you just roll with it. So anyway, good conversation and chit-chat chatteroo with uh, Joe Sangle there. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope that was helpful to you as well. Hey, as always, you can stop by thespeakerlab.com. Check out the show notes, links, everything we discuss and talk about. Uh, if you want to check out Joe's site, all of that's going to be found over at the speakerlab.com. Again, that is the speakerlab.com. So definitely check that out. Also, let me remind you that we do have a we do have these free online trainings that we do every single week. We'd love to have you come join us. If you are interested in learning more about how to find and book speaking engagements, this is for you. So again, come hang out with us. You can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Definitely check that out and we hope to uh, to connect with you there. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 62. We will see you next time. You're awesome.